welcome to Season 5, Episode 2 of The Modern Extractor. This podcast focuses on the processes, equipment, and science found inside a cannabis extraction laboratory. I'm your host, Jason Showard, and I work professionally in the cannabis extraction field. If you guys are finding value in the show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd be so kind as to leave me a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. The reviews you leave are seen by the all-powerful algorithms that help me show up just a little bit higher in those search results, and they keep the great guests coming for future episodes. Thanks in advance. As I mentioned last week, so far, The Modern Extractor has just been a labor of love. I've never taken a dime for advertising or show appearances, and I've always made my best effort to bring you top-notch guests who make great products. I've been reluctant to try to make any money from all the work I put into the show for fear that it would come across as a pay-to-play scenario and lose credibility. While I still haven't taken any advertising or appearance dollars, I am very proud to announce that I've recently partnered with EcoGreen Industries. They're a fantastic nationwide supplier of high-quality extraction solvents, extraction-grade gas blends, and lab consumables. I personally use them as my ethanol supplier when I was running my lab, and they really are a class act. They are also a little closer to the source than many of the other solvent and gas suppliers out there, and they've been in the high-volume and wholesale game for some time now. Because of the volumes of solvents and gases they're moving, their pricing is always competitive, and they have great logistics nationwide. Their customer service is phenomenal. You get a human who cares about your order and is willing to work with you every time you call. So the next time you need some high-quality solvents or extraction-grade gas in your lab, give EGI a buzz and see for yourself. Use the promo code MODEX, that's M-O-D-E-X, online, or mention the Modern Extractor on the phone, and you'll get 10% off your first order, and I'll earn a few bucks from each purchase to help keep the lights on over here at the Modern Extractor Studios. I've personally used EcoGreen's products, done a ton of business with them over the years, and it's a company that I'm happy to attach my reputation to. You can check them out online at ecogreenindustries.com or give them a call 530-378-4443. If you do place an order with this promo code, shoot me an email, jason at modernextractor.com. I'd be happy to return the favor in any way that I can, from a quick chat about process optimization to helping connect you to folks in my network that may be great contacts for whatever you're trying to accomplish. Last week on the show, we talked to Zach Lance of Illuminated Extractors about their revolutionary hydrocarbon extraction systems that are disrupting the industry. We covered how their systems allow for much higher throughputs and solvent recovery rates, We learned how their equipment allows us to work around the biggest bottleneck in LPG extraction, which is the maximum allowable quantity restrictions for gas in your facility. We also got an SOP from Zach for his favorite product to produce and consume, water on rocks. It really was an informative interview and certainly worth a listen if you haven't already. This week on the show, we're joined by a man that I have an incredible amount of respect for. He and his team have taken a homegrown, family-owned business and turned it into a well-oiled machine of a company. For years, they've been supplying the extraction industry with high-quality media used in the production and purification of extracted oils. What I find most impressive about our guest today is his vision for the future and his measured approach to formulating and executing his plan to succeed in it. He's recently made some wonderful hires and assembled a top-notch team that shares his vision. The company I speak of is Carbon Chemistry, and our guest today is their co-founder and CEO, Sheldon Lotzbike. I'll let him tell you the rest. Sheldon, welcome to The Modern Extractor. Hey, thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. We've been uh, going back and forth about you coming on the show for for a little while now, ever since I met you at the uh, the after party to the uh, in L.A. to the Extraction Expo. So I'm glad we we got to make it happen. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. So where are we talking to you from today? Uh, I'm coming to you from our uh, offices here in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, this is mainly where we're based out of, but uh, we ship all over the U.S. and we have some international uh, distribution as well. Right on. Where in Colorado is Aurora? It borders Denver, so it's part of the greater Denver area, but it's mostly the town east of uh, Denver. So if you go any further, you end up in Kansas. All right. If I was talking to you a couple of months ago, there would have uh, it would have been at a, a random Airbnb somewhere or in your, your Tesla that you were touring the country with. <laughs> yeah, you know, we um it, we had a great opportunity to go on a listening campaign uh and travel around the country and meet with um processors that use our products and customers of ours who make those products available to manufacturers. And um because of that, you know, we've been on the road, but over the last month or so, we've we've settled back in and you know, we've got plenty of uh backlogged work to do. Oh, I'm sure. As somebody that likes to travel a lot myself, that's uh, that's a dream. Just kind of being able to call it work and, and travel all over the country, listening to your customers. That's cool. But we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Let's, uh, let's talk about what your path was like to get into the cannabis industry and then eventually into running carbon chemistry. Sure. Yeah. Um, around 2014, uh, my brother, Lejen, uh, he also goes by the, the handle, uh, shadow knot um he was an extractor in the early days as closed loop extraction and concentrates were gaining traction in california um it, specifically around that like 2014 period uh he saw a supply pinch of high purity butane that was being sold to the cannabis industry you know like specifically to small closed loop extraction outfits um and he kind of invited me in to the industry, if you will, uh, saw an opportunity to match my background in international business and maritime transportation uh, to meet that need of extractors that couldn't have, didn't have access to solvent and thus couldn't produce. All right. So prior to getting tapped by your brother, you weren't involved whatsoever in any of the early day processing or any of that stuff? No, not at all. Uh, ports and terminal operation. I think uh, on a couple occasions, I helped a friend who had a house grow, you know, take down some rooms and do some trimming. But that was about the extent of it. Really, virtually no cannabis involvement, really on the maritime side, ports and terminal operations. Well, that's a that's a huge part of things when it comes to sourcing quality products and importing and logistics of getting them to where they need to be. That's probably part of the reason why you guys are so widespread and kind of have your fingers in spread out all over the industry and all over the world, really. Yeah, you know, I mean, you just said the term industry when people reference the cannabis industry they forget that it's an ecosystem, you know, it's not a single item and um, rarely talked about our ancillary businesses or companies that solely service the cannabis industry, um, non-plant touching, but that 
hyper focus that we have on supporting manufacturers um, is really our role in the industry. But because we are so focused, to your point, we can be very wide reaching, um, you know, deep penetration specific focus. All right. Well, if you are so laser focused, talk to me about what carbon chemistry is. What is it that you guys do over there? Yeah. You know, I mean, carbon chemistry is a supplier of green chemistry solutions, um, primarily to cannabis oil manufacturers uh, and processors. Uh, we're best known for kind of our torch bearing role of filtration medias. Um, in the last couple of years, Filtration has become a mainstay in oil production uh, across the U.S. and starting to gain traction abroad. Uh, but we're still mostly associated with really the products that we provide to the market. But, you know, there's there's more that we do, really. What is it? <laughs> well, I mean, some of the other activities other than just making products available, uh, you know, we, we work on advocacy for processors and uh we also connect cannabis companies that come to us with problems to uh, consultants and you know, various solutions to their challenges, um, mainly through relationships that we've built and our knowledge and expertise around the field. Well, I will, uh, I'll be one of the first to, to agree with your uh, relationship building skills. You know, when, uh, <laughs> when, when I ended up over at your little after party thing in L.A., we were uh, fast friends standing there by the barbecue, BSing about the business and, and life and travel and all that other stuff. So, you know, the, the idea of, of building relationships and figuring out how to leverage those into, into something else is something that I think is missed in, uh, in a lot of people that just come up with a business plan. So uh, hats off to you in that respect. Hey, thanks. Business is people. Yeah, exactly, man. You gotta you gotta enjoy working with the folks that you're working with and, uh, and trust them. So that's a, that's a big part of it. Talk to me about what the products that you guys offer are and what they do. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, some of our most notorious products, um, you know, would include like T41, uh, an acid activated bentonite clay, T5, uh, which is an activated neutral bentonite clay, and uh, MagSil PR, which is a specifically activated magnesium silicate product. Um, some other products which we also provide um, are things like chromatography-grade silica gel, and we also have pH-adjusted aluminosilicates that are chromatography-grade. Uh, we offer molecular sieves for solvent desiccation, uh, granular medias under our ZeoClear line, and uh, a few others that are used in various uh, parts of oil purification and um, improvement. So let's say that I am an extractor that wants to utilize the tools that you provide in my system. Walk me through what it looks like to implement your products into my process. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, just to take a step back, we use the term filtration media. Um, you know, generally our products are used in order to separate your cannabis oil solution during extraction from undesirable compounds uh, through a process, you know, ad adsorption and absorption. Uh, but generally, we, we use the term adsorbents and filter media interchangeably. 
Well, um, let me uh, jump in here for a second, actually, and ask <laughs> you. Uh, I have heard adsorbent and absorbent thrown around so frequently throughout the industry, often terms incorrectly. So let's let's break that down. What is the difference between the two? Absolutely. So ad, I think, uh, is more like holding back. So it's surface chemistry where um, atoms or molecules will adhere to the surface of an adsorbent, uh, which then causes them to stay behind while the rest of the solution would continue. An absorbent, absorption is where the solution actually permeates the media. Think like a sponge. Um, and there's there's all the uh, micro-porous activity and structure inside of uh, the filter media. So in some cases, you can have absorption and adsorption occurring at the same time. But like in chromatography, uh, your silica gel is not absorbing uh, the filtrate. It's just doing adsorption and that with a D. It's holding back certain compounds and causing them to slow down uh, and separate based off of their polarity and time. Okay. So you were saying that you would use your products in a setup that an extractor would be using in, uh, give me an example of, uh, of what they would, uh, what they would go into. I mean, we all know CRC, uh, there's some folks that love it. Some folks that hate it. Some folks that don't know what it is and still hate it just because somebody told them they should. Um, <laughs> and then there's the whole chromatography world, which is separate from that. There's also chromatography systems that are in line in some of these extraction rigs. So, Talk to me about all that, what goes where, and how you would use your products. Yeah, so to kind of address your initial question of, you know, hey, how do I implement your products into my process? Um, and then also you mentioned, uh, you know, CRC, color remediation column. It's in the early days, as it kind of became normal term in the industry, it, it was referenced as like color remediation chromatography, and then it became column. So it, it really leaned more towards the equipment side. Um, but effectively, you know, the products, our products can be used inline or in a standalone process, often referred to as uh, post-processing. So what you described, you know, CRC, think of a, a, a pipe spool, a column that's added on to an extraction, a closed-loop extraction system. So you have your material column where your cannabis is, uh, solvent is injected into there cold and it would then dissolve uh, the soluble compounds, uh, terpenes, uh, cannabinoids into solution. So then you have a liquid, which is butane, propane mixture, uh, cannabis, terpenes. And then that solution would then be plumbed into a CRC, uh, you know, color remediation column, uh, which determines really a misnomer, but your filter pod, uh, your column, the solution comes in and that is where it goes through your filter cake, uh, which is whether it's granular or it's a, it's a powder, that is where your filtration is actually occurring beyond just a paper screen. Um, and you're interacting more with your uh, solution. And then your your filtrate, which comes out, your solution after going through your filter filtration um, is what you collect. And then you would evaporate off the uh, solvent, the form of butane, uh, 
and be left with your finished goods. So you mentioned during that, that you could use either a powder or a granular media. And uh, I'm curious as to why you would make the decision to go with one over the other. What's your take on that? Yeah. um, You know, I think that this question, you know, when would you use what? it gets pretty far down the line. Um, you know, something that I hear a lot is kind of the question around like, you know, what's actually happening to my oil? What's going on here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I think that in order to start to answer that question, you have to really think on the right scale. Um, you know, you have to think micro or really blow up the scale of what you're talking about. So, in a, in a closed loop extraction, it's, it's a common practice for people to use um, one to five micron uh, filters. And so a micron is a micrometer. Um, and when we measure active pores of, a, uh, of an adsorbent, uh, we measure that in angstroms. And an angstrom is actually 0.1 nanometers. <laughs> wow. So we're really actually talking about nanotechnology here. Um, and that's what makes this so complicated is it's the processors are actually being able to affect what they're making, um, on a, on a molecular scale with more options and control parameters than just temperature and pressure. Man, that's like a PR campaign for somebody's extracts. Instead of saying, yeah, this was CRC, they get to be like, no, this was nanotechnology enhanced. (laughs) Well, I mean, but it is, you know, I mean, you really are, you know, like we could get a little deeper into what's going on, but you're actually dealing with, you know, electrical charges of molecules and you're based off of various environmental controls, you can actually tune what's happening. You can say, I want to take this compound out and given the environment and the process methodology, you can actually do just that. Yeah, that's cool. Talk to me. I I mean, I would love to get deeper into exactly how all of this stuff works and what it's doing to the oil and really understand, you know, from a, from a layman's perspective, you look at something that looks like a, a bunch of flower sometimes or various small (laughs) little beads and you say i'm going to take my cannabis extract and i'm going to run it through that and it's going to make it better and you know that's that's just a very hard concept for the non-science lab folk to understand so yeah please break it down for me what's what's going on awesome yeah i mean if you think it's hard to imagine the benefit of getting your dirt wet. (laughs) Imagine the difficulty in convincing people that they're actually going to get a better product when we first brought this to market. But, (laughs) you know, it's been proven over time, you know, through chromatographs before and after um, what's happening and, you know, the proofs in the proofs in the concentrate. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, really like, let's, let's think about blowing this up, right? Because if you just sit there and you've got powder in your hands, you're like, what the heck's going on here? Um, it, it, it's really a large gap to start there. Um, let's, let's think, you know, for example, let's take T41. So you got this gray powder, you know, it's dusty. It gets all over the place. Um, 
you know, obviously we can filter that through a one to five micron filter. So we know that the average particle size is larger than that. Um, so, you know, with a, so we know, and so now we're kind of talking on a certain scale. So your filter mesh is smaller, you know, it, it, other than fines. Um, Cause you know, this, this isn't tiny little particles. It is functionally speaking, but if you were to think of one grain of one granule of dust as a boulder, you know, these things grind on each other and they, the little bits get broken off. And, you know, that's kind of the reality. Um, but like, if we were to blow up a single granular, a single dust particle mm-hmm. of a clay to the size of the moon, um, the, the meteor pockmarks of the moon would be like the active sites on this clay particle. Okay. And, uh, actually it's really more shaped like lasagna. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, that's kind of a similar concept. You know, imagine a giant boulder that is made up of little pieces of lasagna and those lasagna have little spots that are incredibly, uh, negatively charged. And so certain compounds like heavy metals, um, and, and when we talk about color remediation or pesticide remediation, we'll talk about how the manufacturers are actually influencing certain compounds to bond uh, with these active sites. But that's really kind of the scale that we're talking about when we're talking about activated clays. Okay. So uh, let's, let's circle back a little bit to why I would choose one over another. So we've got your powdered medias. We've got your granular medias. Why am I going to make the decision to use one or the other in my system if I'm using it in an inline application? Sure. Yeah. So a a granular media, um, I mean, let's think we're on the beach and this is a, you're, you're comparing at this point, sand and human sized boulders, uh, maybe even larger. Uh, you know, a bus size boulder. That's how these two things would kind of compare to each other. I didn't realize it was like that. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're thinking on this tiny, tiny scale, a granular media, you know, you've got this huge environment and it's filled with all these boulders. Um, Often people say, oh, hey, look how quick it's going through. Uh, What processors have found is, especially with granular medias, is how important it is to increase that residency time or how long the solution comes into contact because uh, these granular and, and keep in mind when we say granular media, it's still a clay. It's just the way that it's manufactured. It's, it kind of creates a kind of like a zeolite in the fact that it's a 3d structure and it has tubes and, and, and uh, channeling and, and pores going through this big rock and so by giving it more time, you let the salute, you let the oil actually absorb into it and you have more interaction going on. But we find that, uh, you know, you, you can have great results with granular media. Um, you know, we have our Zeo clear line of granular, but there's certain situations where one works better than the other. And a lot of this is going to be determined on configuration, input material, operating parameters, um, and, and the capability of, uh, the processor. 
So let's say from making a decision of a powder to a granular, uh, let's just say I've got, you know, some nice, fresh, frozen, very high quality product that probably doesn't need a ton of work to touch it up. I'm going to run cold and I have a fairly basic closed loop system that's got, you know, your, your average setup plus a CRC column or a filter pod, as you'd like to call it, uh, on, the, on the tail end of it uh, before the collection pot. So that's my rig right there. Um, is there a case to use the powders in this scenario if you know that you've got a fairly high quality product or if you want like a quick polish, is that something that you'd be more inclined to use something like the granular media because you know it's going to go through faster. Yeah, so I mean, if if you're thinking about time, then you're kind of thinking in the wrong scale. You know, even though speed of processing is important, um, you know, if you're just looking at your oil and the faster it goes, the better everything is. Then we're not really talking at the same degree of fidelity. Um, I respect that. <laughs> but nonetheless, I mean, even with that setup that you just said, um, you know, we were actually supporting a, a, a class in Michigan recently and the, the teacher, uh, Dread Pirate, he used 90 grams of clay in his extract. And that was it. I mean, if you think about 90 grams, it's not a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's small. It's, it's a sprinkle. And that was you know, that was basically all that they did. Um, and it still helped with product improvement. Um, you know, you said something in your scenario that's important, right? You said, oh, I'm running it super cold. Um, for a while, that was the only operating parameter that manufacturers had control over is temperature. Mm -hmm. So uh, by getting it really cold, you get a cleaner, lighter extract because A, you have less degradation caused by temperature. Um, and you also are kind of freezing the fats onto the plant material, which gives you a clearer extract um, on the other end. So, um, you know, when it comes to our products, it's, you know, we, we sell both and there's different use case scenarios. Like, for example, an acid activated clay like T41 is going to have more active sites and, and a better uh charge affinity for certain compounds. However, um, you then have an increased acidity in your solution, which again could actually be a benefit for the processor because it could actually aid their crystallization. Um, you know, THCA is an acid and um, that, that acidic environment can actually aid in crystalline formation. So, um, so it's, it's tough because, you know, in some areas you have things that you're trying to avoid, you have things that you're trying to accomplish, but ultimately, um, you know, you have, you have different compounds, you know, you have proteins, you have degraded terpenes, um, that can break down, uh, you have broken down cannabinoids, you know, broken phenolic groups, alkaloids, phosphatides, flavonoids. Um, some of these can have poor orders, odors, like amino acids can compose and decompose into ammonia. Um, so you, really in a sense, you know, when you're doing extraction, both how the material is handled and processed prior to extraction, and then also the methodology of extraction 
um, you know, the more to, to kind of put into an operator term, the more you beat your material up, you're actually beating it up on a chemical level too. And you can get degradation. And uh, so what you're doing in your process or what, what issues you have in your oil is really what you're trying to address with filtration. You're not changing it. You're, you're taking away things that are there that you don't want. So then in that rationale, would you say that the, the proper way to approach what items you're going to use or what SKUs from your catalog that you may use is to actually do a run with no media, take a look at the quality of the oil that you're getting, look at this and say, based on X, Y, and Z, I think that the right products to use are going to be A, B, and C. Yeah. I mean, the, the guess and check method, if you will, is, or I mean, more so, you know, do a small, do a bench scale experiment with the material you're working with that's representative of your, your scaled extraction and then kind of map out what you're trying to accomplish from there and then scale it. That's definitely an approach that you can do. Um, you know, what I think a lot of people do is they work with consultants or field technicians who have already accomplished the outcome that they're trying to seek. And then they work with the people processes and input material in order to affect that same outcome. And really our tools, you know, you're not going to end up with a perfect guide because there's so many different constituents inside the oil and environmental concerns or environmental impact on your process and what your output is. We really try to offer kind of like an arrow of quivers. Um, so based off of your specific scenario, you can you can mix and match your process in order to dial in your manufacturing process. And, you know, there's a difference between, okay, I have biomass, I have, you know, nugs, and I want the oil off of it to make a dabable concentrate or something to that effect. Um, if you're just trying to do that once, then it's pretty straightforward. Use a solvent, get it off, remove the solvent, they're typically evaporation, and you're left with an oil. That's especially when we get into terms like crude and the middle market activity over in the CBD side, because a lot of people do that. They grow the hemp, they strip the oil off, and then they sell it wholesale. And then other companies take the oil, reintroduce the solvent, and then process it in order to produce a finished good. Um, even CBD has a ways to go. You know, a lot of times people just distill it and they say it's good. To, it, we're good. But you know, the problem is, especially like with pesticides, um, those can carry over with your cannabinoids. So if you're just using evaporation and condensing as a purification process, you're actually doing a limited amount to the oil other than visual improvement. Gotcha. So distillation, definitely. I know this from my work in the, in the ethanol world. Uh, you, you certainly can get some pesticides carried through into your distillate. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, that said, if we want to process it prior to that, to, uh, to remove these pesticides, would, would you process this in the crude form then? Well, I mean, so there's a couple things that we have to consider here, you know, um, 
for example, like in a pesticide remediation, which just to kind of tune that up, that's the, that's the common nomenclature that people use um, in commercial uh, edible oil purification. Uh, we've seen the term used a lot like uh, crop protectants because it's not just pesticides. You have herbicides, you have fungicides. Um, but, you know, in, in this process, um, you're, you're trying to find one specific compound and take it out. So if you're trying to do remediation with uh, crude, you've got a lot more stuff in there. You know, like one of the reasons that fil- filtering through clay can help with the clarity of your product is, um, you know, a lipid is kind of structured. It has a fatty head that's positively charged and then a, a, a skinny tail that's negatively charged. And so while your solution is going through the clay, that fatty head can bond to an active site of, of your uh, adsorbent. And then other lipids will actually, their fatty heads will attach to the negatively charged tails and it keeps going and it creates these chains, which causes the lipids to stay in your filter medium while your solution comes out without those compounds in it. So if you have this crude, which has been, you know, maybe extracted hot or it's just real, it's got all kinds of stuff in there. You basically are going to be clogging the pores of your filter medium and you're not going to have the degree of fidelity to go after a targeted compound to remediate it. Okay. That makes sense. The extra junk that's in there just kind of blinds your media and makes it less effective at doing what it's supposed to do. Exactly. I mean, another example, like our baseline, you know, recommendation for uh, remediating something like microbutanol, you know, a, a fungicide um, from cannabis is to actually take your finished oil and reintroduce a nonpolar solvent uh, like uh, N-heptane. And when you do this, when you dis- when you separate off that heptane, when you distill your oil, um, you're not going to be able to retain those terpenes. So you can you can remediate that compound from the oil, but you're not going to end up with this nice broad spectrum dabbable product. You're going to end up with a, a, a distillate product. Um, mm-hmm. However, your alternative was you throw the whole thing away because it's not good for anybody, or you actually have the ability to make that molecule valuable again. Yeah. Or the terrible solution, which is it goes out the back door and onto the market full of microbutanol, which happens every single day. You know, it, it happens. And that's, you, you asked something earlier of like, how, how do you make this easy or accessible? And really it comes from the normalization. You know, I mean, we have, more people saying boo, you know, <laughs> CRC, like you said earlier. And it's like, so what's the alternative? And it's like, oh, well, well rosin. It's like, okay, so we're going to take a bunch of nugs. We're going to use water to extract it and get a 4% yield and then throw away the rest. Um, you know, it might be that it might be tasty and, and representative of that profile, but it's, it's not a sustainable process. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you could equate that to uh, if you were to use the alcohol industry example, right? I mean, there are $1,000 bottles and there are 
$5 bottles and there's a whole range of stuff in between. And a lot of it has to do with how much quality and time uh, and, and care has been put into any of the products. So, I mean, I think there's kind of a place for everybody in this. It's just, you know, what, what range are you going after? And then if you are a producer of, even if you're a producer of super high-end products and you get caught with a hot batch of something, you need these tools in your bag to be able to make it into something that is a saleable product so that you can keep on doing what you're doing. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, CRC didn't become popular because because manufacturers said, oh, this is the best thing. It became popular because consumers buy the product that's made that way and enjoy it. This is true. I think a lot of what popularized it also was for, for the longest time, color was associated with quality of a product. Uh, and it still is to this day. There's, you know, there's a little bit of a, a, a growing understanding that the, the lightest color product doesn't always mean the best product. Um, that's coming around these days, but you know, for the longest time that was the case. And because that was the case, the CRC products were these beautiful golden products. Even if the process wasn't done that well, they were still what got bought. And then I think there's a lot of folks out there doing a lot of bad CRC work that kind of gave the industry a bad name because it was so demanded so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's the good thing about talking about it and digging into this is, you know, if your only guide is visual, I mean, imagine judging wine based off of its look. Yeah, right. It's asinine, right? (laughs) Yeah. But that's effectively what you just described. The market has said color equals quality. And I think in turn, you kind of have a counter push of just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. And my response to that would be, well, of of course. (laughs) Yeah, right. The rascals in this industry will absolutely figure out how to make it look however you want at whatever quality level it actually is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, we've, you know, it's something that's common on the processor side is uh, you can take out all the color. You can have completely clear, you know, diamonds and sauce that tastes delicious and has a really nice high um, and nobody wants it. I mean, we hear all the time people say like, hey, how do we put the gold back in the oil? (laughs) (laughs) That was not a question that you heard three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) No. Ever. (laughs) I mean, shoot, some of the the stuff we were dabbing a few years ago was uh, we wouldn't even be caught dead in the same room. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy to see how it's really advanced and you know it feels like forever to people that have been in the industry and around it for a while but it really if you look back on it so much has happened so fast as far as the quality that has become the norm and then every once in a while you'll end up in a state where uh where it's not regulated and legalization hasn't exactly hit and the the black market stuff is just like they can get away with whatever they can get away with. So you get a quite a slap in the face in the uh, in regard to quality when you realize, oh yeah, it's like this here because you can't have ten million options. Yeah, you know, and it's it's t- change management is always difficult, and you know, I think that you, you nailed it. You know, it feels like if you've been in this industry for five years, you're probably a little long in the tooth, you know, right. it's crazy. <laughs> you know, 
I mean, yeah. And, and it's just because there's so much change. There's so much to keep up with. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 not no pun intended, the, the modern extractor, if you will, um, <laughs> they have to learn people skills, best manufacturing processes, you know, CGMP, all this CFR 21 stuff. Um, and then you have to deal with marketing and budgets and overhead and cost control and compliance. And, you know, they're forced to just have to learn all of these disparate technical fields. And, um, you know, and really, I think at the end of the day, as much as we, we can help people get to where they want to be, um, you know, business is a people thing. And, you know, we, we really can't take all the credit. It's, um, it's on the processors, what they're able to do with our products is really the why behind them being popular. Yeah, that's great. You guys have a, a fairly wide range of products in comparison to other manufacturers of medias out there. So one of the applications that, uh, that we touched on a moment ago was pesticide remediation. Uh, another one would be color remediation. I'd imagine, do you sell products that are used in conversions? Um, yeah, you know, we, I mean, shoot, you know, you can convert CBD into Delta eight, uh, a, a variety of different ways. I think, uh, the most common is using, uh, you know, P, uh, uh, PTSA and toluene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are uh, both readily available commercial chemicals that are widely available. Um, and there, there's a, there's a few different ways you can do it. I really, we're also susceptible to the, rapid (laughs) change you know i would say that as a company um we haven't been too involved in the conversion side of things um Mm -hmm. most of the driver behind that was the cbd industry as their price floor evaporated um looking for ways to make revenue and you know even though i don't see any issues with the actual molecule uh the the delta eight molecule these concepts of contaminants in your, in your, um, concentrates and, you know, the re- the real world situation of how oil goes from seed to consumption. There's a lot of hands touching that. And there's a lot of variability in the method that that's done. So short answer, we don't sell any products that are meant to use for conversions. Um, but, you know, there, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I was actually working with uh, with C-Click and they have a patented technology where it's a solid, solid conversion of CBD to D8. We were doing some R&D for them and it's literally as simple as dump CBD isolate into said heating vessel and dump powder that I'm sure they would rather I not name into same heating vessel and then, uh, you know, heat it, stir it and filter off the, uh, the beads and you're done deal. You've created D8. So it's a, it's an interesting concept that, you know, these clays and all these medias definitely could potentially have more legs than what we're used to seeing them as, which is just removal of a thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, can you make wine synthetically? 
you know, short answer, <laughs> yes. Um, but nonetheless, you know, that's not really going to occur. And I, I think in the same way, natural cannabis, you know, which is grown and extracted where you're, you're just, you're, you're taking away things that you don't want to be there but it was there to begin with. You're not actually mm-hmm. synthesizing anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's going to, to stay for some time. Oh, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, there's definitely the highest end products you're going to find are something where you take everything nature gives you and remove a couple of the bad things or remove nothing. And you know, that is, that is what it is. It's, uh, you know, it, it's dangerous to start the game of, of playing around in the chemistry lab and then sucking all this stuff into your lungs before you really have a whole lot of information about it. But nonetheless, it's an industry. You know, I mean, f- fine particulates of any kind are bad. Um, you know, like our, our, our clays actually have less than 1% uh, crystalline silica, which is what causes uh, silicosis or really, you know, the reason asbestos is a magnesium silicate, uh, it's natural and they're like fibers. And, uh, what we say is it's, uh, friable. They can break off and splinter and become lodged and that's in your, in your lungs. And that's kind of what causes uh, the cancer from it. So, okay. you know, there is, you do want to use your PPE. You want to use best practices. Um, you know, but at the same time, we have worked to curate our products so that they're relatively safe to handle, you know, generally speaking. And, um, Mm. and there's, as you mentioned before, this industry is full of unscrupulous players, but how we've conducted ourselves, uh, you know, we really plan to be here for the long haul. Well, you've made that incredibly clear. Uh, I look forward to figuring out how to, how to work together at some point on something I did before we, before we, close things up i did want to circle back a little bit to we we're talking pesticide remediation and i'd like to cover how pesticide remediation actually works with one of your products so let's say that i have um we got as far as figuring out that we would not do it in crude form based on the fact that we might blend our media so let's say that i've got a distillate for example that tests positive for pesticides and i want to remove that we got as far as dissolving the product in N-heptane, and now I'm going to run it through a filter cake of some sort. What would I use, and what is it actually doing to the material? Yeah, great question. Um, so, and, and just to just to kind of throw this out there from the beginning too, it's not that you can't do pesticide remediation in line. It's more so that the, your scenario is we've really tested hot for something or we've ended with the product. Now we want to take it out of there um, specifically. So I, I think I mentioned Michael Butanol before, um, you know, it's, it's a fungicide. Uh, you know, people put that as a crop protectant to, to get rid of mold, which is why it pops up um, in our industry. So if you actually look at the molecular structure of Michael Butanol, um, it's a highly functionalized molecule. I mean, this is a synthetic molecule. It has, you know, hydroxy groups and it's, it, it's got all these ends to it um, that can, that can kind of bond and, and it can break down enzymes. It, it, that's what it's doing and why it works. And so in, um, in the remediation process, we're actually taking advantage uh, 
of um, the molecule's functionality. And so overall, the molecule can be nonpolar. Um, you know, it can have a negative charge. However, there's parts of it that can be highly positively charged and they can actually combine with an active site. So the reason that we're using a nonpolar solvent is that if we use a, a polar or semipolar solvent like, uh, like ethanol, you're, you have a chance to kind of blind some of those pores and make it so it's harder to match. Um, but nonetheless, the, the, the functional nature of crop protectants can be used against them in order to actually use the same practices that we use to pull out heavy metals. Um, and it's, it's really about that, that chemistry that's going on at that, that nano scale where they're so bonding together. What, uh, which one of your products, if you had a hot batch tested positive for microbutanol and, uh, let's just say a, a handful of others, um, past the, uh, allowable amounts and we want to get this into a saleable product. Like you've got your entire carbon chemistry arsenal at your fingertips. What's the go-to? How do you do uh, it? Absolutely. The main one that we put, uh, that we, we kind of advertise for pesticide remediation is, um, our MagSil PR product. So, you know, as we talked about before, asbestos is mag magnesium silicate. Um, however, this is manufactured in a sense uh, that the magnesium is bound with it. It's 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 synthetically made, and you know it's it's kind of a phase transition. It's activated at 675 degrees Celsius, um, which causes it to form a, a particular crystalline structure. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it like a game of Plinko, <laughs> all right. you've got all these, 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 these crystals in the structure um, at a small scale, and you have these hot spots in your target compound that if they come into contact with the, the active site, it becomes firmly bound. And when your solution process goes through your, your filter cake, uh, you know, MagSil is kind of, a, it's a slightly larger, it's kind of a, somewhere between a granule and a powder. And, um, and eventually you're going to have binding between the, the crop protectant and the media, which will, it's no longer in your solution. You would then do a second uh, distillation in order to separate it from the heptane. And you'd be at, you would end up with uh Delta nine distillate that is, uh, no longer has that that uh, compound in there. Understood. And when you're saying active sites, just to clarify for everybody out there, my understanding of what you mean by this is like, let's just say that it's the uh, the, the little granule that's been blown up to the size of the moon and every one of the little meteor pockmarks on the moon has some type of a charge to it. And each one of those is an active site? Correct. Yes, you, you got it. And so, and then we also have to think two sides to a magnet, right? That active site, has a particular charge and pore size. So there's two things. It has, the shoe has to fit and then also the polarity has to match or be opposite rather. Um, you know, the stronger the opposites are, the stronger that they attract. 
Now, are there different charges placed on these different medias that you offer? So some are positive, some are negative. And then that way, depending on what you're trying to target, you're going to select a different media. Um, well, it, this is, it, it's, we do start to get a little deep here. This is pH. It, it isn't measured unless you actually have water present. However, um, you know, you do start to change the entire environment. Effectively, the behavior, how things behave change based off of several different um, parameters. And inherently, we're not going around, you know, with a voltmeter checking the, the polarity. You know, this is done at such a tiny scale. Um, it's more about what's happening chemically and how, how you affect it from the large scale. But for the most part, you know, metals have a positive charge. So short answer, no, you're not going to have a variance in, in your uh, polarity. Well, but, specifically my question was like, if you know you're after something like metals, you said that have a typically a positive charge. Now you're going to look for a media that has a negative charge on the active sites to attract those. Was that accurate? Yes. Yes. So to, uh, to answer that specifically, um, let's say you're trying to make a decision. Do I use T5 or do I use T41? Um, the T41 is acid activated, so it's going to have a stronger charge and be able to bind with those heavy metals better. However, um, it also has the potential to add some acidity to your solution, which changes some of the handling characteristics. So you, you kind of get into this realm of pros and cons, which is why a lot of people will, will blend their medias in order to change uh, the, the processing parameters. Understood. So if you want to affect a few different things, you put all the different tools in the bag and do it. Now, packing these things into a cake is an art all in itself. So let's say that you want to use multiple medias in your column. What would be the procedure to get them set up the way that you want them and kind of sit in order? Or do you ever mix them together? How's that work? Yeah, you know, when we start getting into outcomes, it, it gets a little funkier, right? Because you're really getting into the business use case. Mm -hmm. What are people looking for? What's your particular setup? Um, you know, we've worked with a couple companies that have blends that have six products in there and um, they just blend it together and we keep it in smaller um, container sizes. So that way there's not separation. Whenever you do transport, like let's say you, again, going back, you've got a, uh, you've got a jar full of marbles and bouncy balls. Um, if you shake it up, you know, they're kind of separated a little bit. Definitely. If you place that on your dashboard and you drive down the road, that vibration, they'll start to separate by size mm -hmm. and, and weight. And you'll end up with a bunch of marbles at the bottom and bouncy balls on top. And when you put lots of, you know, when you put things together that may look similar, but you know, one is, you know, it's 85% of its particle distribution is 20 micron. And you put it with something that the majority of its particle distribution is, you know, 150 micron, they're obviously going to separate. 
even if they're several micron apart, you can have some stratification where they'll start to separate. So this gets into process, output, objective. Um, you talked about packing. Uh, you know, in chromatography, it's common to do a, a wet pack or a slurry fill where you add solvent and solution to your silica gel and then fill it in as a liquid and then vacuum dry it. And what that does is you're trying to avoid channeling because when we're talking about this stuff in really small sizes, if you just put it in there and there's air bubbles or there's the oil does the thing where you kind of see it create a little vortex and go through, they call that channeling. You don't want that to occur because now your oil isn't touching all of your activated media. It's mm -hmm. going right past it. And obviously you'd want to avoid that. So, you know, I think on the equipment side, it's become more common for people to have sight glasses and, but you can do this whole process blind if you have a packing process, which is, it, you know, you, your, your working environment is conducive to that. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, I would like, you, you guys offer so many products that there would be no way for us to go through all of them at length, but, uh, I, I'd like to do a little bit of a, a lightning round, if you will. If I, if I throw some, uh, some of the medias from your website at you, can you, uh, give me a one to two sentence explanation of what people would typically use them for? Yeah. All right. We'll start with, uh, I'm actually looking at your website right now. So first one on the list, activated alumina. Activated alumina, um, can be used as just for filtration particulate, and it can also help tune clays to change how heavy metal chelation or lipid removal uh, occurs. All right, next one's MagSil PR. I think we covered that. That's pretty much uh, pesticide remediation, right? Yeah, it actually does a good job on color too, but um, generally it's, it's used for post-processing for pesticide remediation. Understood. Uh, yeah. Also, it'd be great if you wanted to tell me if these are typically used in line or, or, or after, like you just said. I love that. Uh, so next one is Pure Flow B80. Yeah. B80 is just a, a wider spec, kind of like a different manufacturer, but a, a lower grade than T5, but along the same vein. It's a, it's a neutral clay. All right. T41. Uh, that's an acid activated uh, carbon impregnated. Um, so that is one of our most active clays um and both b80 t41 uh even magsil can be used in line uh magsil's typically used out uh you know in a post-process environment uh t41 was actually our first product um it we originally started off just treating uh distillate and it was really meant for pesticide remediation because the acidity can help break up uh, some of the pesticides too. Now it's generally added to a filter cake in order to increase the activity of your filtration. When you say increase the activity of your filtration, does that, does that have to do with the amount of active sites we were talking about earlier? Um, more so the, uh, the charge strength of those active okay. sites. Understood. The acid, the acid will dissolve components of the natural clay which changes its its charge and 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 makes it more negatively charged to the active sites to have a heart a stronger bond. Understood. That's cool. All right. I'm glad I asked that. Um, T five. Uh, so that's that's one of our leading products. Um, actually, T five and silica gel are commonly used together for inline filtration. Um, 
but it is a it is a Steve activated uh, natural bentonite clay. You know, these are all engineered clays meant they're functionalized clays meant for oil filtration and purification. Um, but it's not acid activated. Understood. And what would you use T5 for? Uh, it, it's really one of our most common uh, filtration medias. Um, and you're really going to accomplish pretty much most of the goals that we've talked about on this uh, this whole discussion, but at a lesser degree. So it's kind of a, a, a safe <laughs> in the sense that things won't go as wrong as quickly if you don't know what you're doing when you're, when you're working with it. Understood. And it's kind of a catch all. It'll do a little bit of everything. More or less. Understood. And what about the Zeo clear L? Uh, that is a slightly acidic granular media. Um, you know, uh, and then Zeo clear Y is our, our, our slightly basic, um, and it's a, it's an adipolgite clay based, uh, granular media. Both of them are. And what would I use them for? Uh, so that you could do uh, primarily is used for inline filtration. So, um, you could do, you know, you, 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 you need a higher residency time or you could use recirculation in order to go over it more than once. Um, but effectively similar concept, you put it in a column, you run your oil solution over it and that one, because it does, you know, it's, it's more of a 3d granule. It, you're going to have more absorption occurring where it, the oil actually penetrates into all of those inner channels and um, in order to have a, you know, activity occur. Gotcha. So from talking to you through this process, um, you sound like somebody that knows a lot about all of these things and what they're doing and why you would use many of them. Uh, I can't help but notice that I've gotten a little bit of a vibe of you being a little less of a fan of the granulars than you are to the powders. Is there, uh, am I barking up the wrong tree sense <laughs> of this or uh, is there a reason for it if I'm right? No, I, the, I think you're, you're accurate. Um, inherently where some of our frustration around the, the question of granular versus powder um first off that phrasing kind of makes it sound like one is better than the other. There's just so different. If you were to ask me, you know, given one of these medias, what could you do more with? I would say powder hands down all day long. You have, you have more control, more activity. And I would say that you can do more with the powders than you can with the granules. Generally speaking, I would recommend a, filtration product, which the processor feels comfortable working with. That is such a huge part that goes into the choice. You know, um, I would say that if we had a Venn diagram, the powders would be able to do everything that the granules do. And then there would be a third of the circle that the granules can't do. Nonetheless, it's not to detract from a processor's ability to produce good product with granular media. It's, it's easy to use, you know, the packing process is way cleaner, even though there is still fines for the most part, it's, um, it has a low attrition rate and it's a big granule and, um, you know, people can dump it in a tube, dump it out. It's, it's very, 
processor friendly in its handling characteristics, but its capability does pale in comparison. Understood. Well, I'm glad you get to have this argument with yourself about two products that you carry at this, <laughs> po- at this point. So yeah, good, good stuff on, uh, on on picking those up and adding them to your line. And now, no matter what you want, you can get it all at Carbon Chemistry and uh, you know, talk to Sheldon and he'll convince you to go powder. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's a need there's a need for everything to be out there and, and different people are going to want different stuff. So I think you guys made the right move by deciding to pick it up on the line. Hey, thanks. You know, no, no one size fits all. And that's, that's what we realized. And that's our goal is to, you know, supply green chemistry solutions and filtration leads to sustainability for this industry. So we're obviously a proponent. Right on. So uh, wrapping things up a little bit here, you and Bree, your lovely wife, have been traveling around, hosting, co-hosting, just schmoozing your way across the country at all the different industry events uh, <laughs> and inviting people to your parties. I've been lucky enough to, to be able to come to two of them, and they were fantastic. They're pretty much the highlights of both of the events that I was at. So props oh, awesome. to that. Thank you. It was a great time. You got good people and, uh, you know, you're curating a good environment. So I appreciate that. Um, I've kind of jokingly been calling it the carbon chemistry charcuterie tour. because <laughs> These ridiculous charcuterie spreads that you guys put out are just insane. I mean, like just for the, for the listeners to understand this, one of them, the one in Vegas, was at this ridiculous house, mansion house, uh, for BizCon. And the center island of the kitchen, which was probably like five feet by like nine feet, they just put down something, like a giant tablecloth or something, and just completely covered it with the most ridiculous charcuterie spread that you could imagine that like you just got to go and pick at. And it was, I mean, I'm a foodie, man. This, this made my day and it's not cheap stuff either. It's like fancy little things. It was, it was beautiful. So. You, you know, I got to say a huge shout out to Melissa uh, yes. at, at we'd rather be traveling on Instagram. You know, she was the mastermind behind that uh, particular charcuterie. You know, when you said good people, you know, and good food, that's really, we're, we've actually thought about calling, uh, the continuing to do these events and calling it carbon bonding. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, I mean, like coming into coming from, you know, COVID, we just found this, our industry particularly, you know, not solely, but particularly has this strong desire to connect and share. And so we really just started by, Hey, we're going to be here. Let's invite some cool people. Well, shoot, you don't know who's going to show up. What's a dynamic food offering. So we thought it was cool to have a charcuterie board. And, you know, after doing this three, four or five times, um, we just, we get amazing people to show up. I mean, for you to say that it's a highlight or something is, you know, just a a complete accolade for us because the the goal is to create much like uh, oil processing, you know, the goal is to uh, create an environment that's conducive to the outcome that you're trying to incur. And uh (laughs) Uh, you know, we had over 200 people come through the Las Vegas event, and um, I heard at least a dozen times somebody say, wow, I've been working with this person for two years, and this is the first time we've met. Yep, yep. 
I was a newer guy on the block. Um, you know, I've been doing the podcast for a, a year now, just over a year. And prior to that, I was just kind of a, a ethanol processor that minded my own business and lurked around on future 4200 occasionally with no account and like didn't really make an effort to, to network having come out uh, a little bit more into the spotlight with the podcast and then getting into the scene and kind of like going to these events the first bizcon i went to i just walked around and talked to people and talked to the vendors and that was kind of it and then we went and did vegas and that was cool but like this next time around it was just really cool to be able to know all the people or many more of the people. And then to go to an after party like this, where I really got to literally see everybody, like (laughs) everybody that I've talked to, or, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those events that like you gotta be at. So that's a, that's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm really happy that you have decided to take this approach to things because it really, it does, it goes a long way, you know, like it having people bond together. You're right there. Um, this is a little bit of a, for sure, man, uh, this is a little bit of a, a unique approach to business with, you don't see every day. Um, you don't see many brands doing it. So what, what made you decide to go this route or to take this approach with your listen, listening tour slash charcuterie tour, as I will continue to call it. You know, this is probably going to be the least technical part of our whole discussion, but, uh, great. Uh, you know, at a young age, I don't know, I think high school party, right? You know, who decides to put themselves at risk in order to host a party, right? It's like almost a thankless thing. <laughs> but why do we do it? You know, it, 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 you facilitate an experience. And that's that's life. You know, it's, that's, that's hosting something and having fun. And, um, you know, if one person finds the event beneficial, then it's a success for us. And if mm-hmm. a high percentage of the people attending find it unique or beneficial, then it it incentivizes us to do it more. But I think to answer your question, um, it really comes down to, well, why are we here? We're here for an industry, for a collection of people. And we want to help facilitate information exchange and learning and, and growth. And um, as we went around, we realized that, you know, who's somebody needs to just put an event together, you know, have a venue, have an anchor, a cause, um, and provision it. And when you have the right environment, it's amazing the kind of reactions you can, you can have. Absolutely. Uh, I, I love that you're throwing all these chemistry puns in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help myself. <laughs> but, it, but it's very true. I mean, I, I think that there's probably a lot of extractors out there that are in a very similar position to that that I was at the first time that I went to BizCon, which was, I don't really like make a big deal to be part of this industry. I'm just doing what I do at my job, trying to make the best oil I can make. And that's kind of what I do for my life. Like, being part of this scene that it is in the cannabis industry is, is something that there's a lot of folks that don't really even know about. And there's a lot of folks that don't really know how to do it. So, I mean, it's a, uh, it's definitely, it's, it's a good thing that you're doing this and allowing people to connect a little bit better. Well, I mean, really we're, we're building off the backs of other people's efforts. You know, you mentioned uh, the future 4200 forum, um, you know, sure around cannabis, you have a metaculture, but the notoriety that people get 
come from their actions and their efforts. You know, they work hard, they make good product, they share information, and um, it, it creates a community just by shared interest. Mm-hmm. So we're just building off of that and trying to get greater traction between those communities that have organically presented themselves and, and, and kind of, you know, creating a environment where that can propagate. Makes sense. I mean, you and Bree and your crew are people that like to hang out and enjoy people. So obviously the, the go-to solution is like, let's create a place where we could all hang out with people. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. I, I, my, I'm by trade, I'm a logistician and, uh, you know, I always like to joke. We, uh, we like solving problems. It's what got me into this industry. It's what keeps me passionate about what we do. Um, so bring us your problems, whether it's an issue with your oil or an issue, not having anywhere to connect (laughs) with people, you know, (laughs) we just like trying to, trying to problem solve and create as much value as we can. Right on. Well, uh, do you have any new products or services or uh, stops on the charcuterie tour that, uh, that we can look forward to in 2022? You know, we have so much coming down the pipeline. Um, all I can really say, you know, we'll be broadcasting new products as they launch. Um, we'll be broadcasting about new services that we offer um, as they formalize. Uh, but really, all I could say is reach out to us. Um, you know, we use a distributed model. We sell through resellers and we really reinforce that community that we've created. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean that we're not interested in doing an R&D project or pointing somebody in the right direction. So, um, you know, I would just, I, I would really encourage, um, you know, to reach out to us. So if somebody wanted to reach out, what would be the best way to do it? Uh, email's great sales at carbonchemistry.com. Uh, also we have our website, carbonchemistry.com and Instagram is another great method, uh, at carbon chemistry, LTD, uh, you know, social channels. We're also on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, but email is always great. Um, Sheldon.lotspike at carbonchemistry.com is my personal email. Uh, but our sales email, uh, will actually get you into a distribution and there's always somebody there to kind of help take the question and point it in the right direction. Understood. And, uh, we didn't, we didn't get around to, to you figuring out how to drop it in during any of this other stuff during the interview. But, uh, I think that there's a quite important announcement that, uh, that, that you, you wanted to make, I think, I hope I'm going to pull it <laughs> out of you on the air here, but, uh, you've just got a, a new team member that, uh, that joined the crew over there. Who's a big deal. At Photon Noir, uh, been a huge contributor uh, to the cannabis science community, uh, has recently joined Carbon Chemistry as our chief science officer. We go back several years uh, when we bumped into each other at one of our uh, charcuterie events. Uh, we were trying to share contact info, and he pulled up his contact for me and had four old phone numbers, so <laughs> dating back to 2016. So, um you know, it's it's really cool to have somebody join our team and help drive us forward, you know, in something that's so science heavy with that professional background, but also somebody who's had a monumental impact on cannabis and how it's extracted today. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've had Dylan on the show and, uh, you know, it, just talking to him about his work in the early years was uh, was pretty impressive. When you told me earlier today before the call started or before the recording started that uh, that he joined the team, I was I was starstruck. So uh, good job. <laughs> good, good hire, man. Good hire. Hey, you know, I mean, all you can do is try your best. And, you know, if what you do resonates with people, then you can attract other good people that are trying to do the same thing. And, you know, I think we got really lucky. Absolutely. Well, uh, to wrap it up, I'm going to hit you with a question that I ask everybody. Uh, what are you personally most excited about regarding what's coming in the future of our industry? You know, at a, at a broad angle, I am just excited for the continued normalization of cannabis. Um, it's in the industry where there's so much change that we feel like, you know, we, we joke around about cannabis is works in dog years. You know, if you've been in the industry for one year, it's like you've been in it for seven years. Um, you know, if you've been in it for a decade, you, you, you got a long beard and <laughs> yes, sir. But, um, you know, really, I think that continued normalization, uh, you know, we didn't talk about it, but whether it's a thousand dollar bottle of alcohol or a cheap drink, you know, all of those still have a potential for cancer causing because of aldehydes uh, in the manufacturing of the alcohol. And, you know, I think cannabis has been proven over the years to be a better alternative than some of the options that we have. And to see that go worldwide and, you know, we just see this constant state after state, country after country, um, looking to legalize recreational cannabis you know, in, um, in the not too distant future, it's going to be a much more normal thing. And all us cannabis people aren't going to be so counterculture anymore. Totally. It just takes a couple of, uh, you know, kids getting born into the world where this is the world and then it's just normal. It's just (laughs) nothing but time. Oh God. I'm, I'm, I'm young and you're making me think to the future where I'm going to be like, Back in my day, weed was illegal. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I mean, I'll never forget Dare Class. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as uh, I, I'll, I'll pepper this question in here and there based on whether I think the folks that are on my show like to like to partake. And I know you do. So what is uh, <laughs> what's your favorite concentrate that would utilize a material that you sell? Uh, you know, we're really lucky because as we went across the country, we were able to find product which had touched our products everywhere that we went. Uh, it was the charcuterie and dab tour. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the other half of the name. Yeah, exactly. Um, bonding and dabbing. Uh, but, you know, I think generally um, I, I like a good diamonds and sauce um, where you can see, you know, the the, the crystal structure and you can see the clarity of the terpene, especially, you know, open it up, smell it, you know, having light and bright nose to it. Um, you know, it's going to dab well. Um, I've kind of started to move to more towards caviars and whatnot, because when you have bigger diamonds in your terpenes, you know, typically the, the diamond will vaporize at a, the, the crystal will vaporize at a higher temperature. So you want to kind of crush it up and stir it in. So even when you have diamonds and sauce, it's presented to the customer that way, but it inevitably would be consumed as a caviar or something to that extent. 
All right. Well, uh, we already covered how to get a hold of you. So uh, I guess that's a wrap, man. Sheldon Lotzbike, thanks for coming on the Modern Extractor. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks again to Sheldon for joining us today. You can find Carbon Chemistry on Instagram at Carbon Chemistry LTD or reach out to sales directly, sales at carbonchemistry.com. As I said before, I couldn't be more stoked for the recent hires and the composition of the current Carbon Chemistry team. I recorded this interview before the formal announcement came out for all the recent hires, so he only mentioned Dylan, aka Photon Noir. In addition to Dylan, Catherine, aka Sidco Cat, and Melissa, aka We'd Rather Be Traveling, have also joined the team. I'm a fan of every one of these folks individually, and now they're all under one roof. While I'm singing praises over here, I certainly can't forget to tip the hat to co-founder and OG of R&D for Carbon Chemistry, Lejeune, aka Shadownot, and logistical mastermind, Brie Lotzbike. This team is a force to be reckoned with, and I'm excited to see where y'all take it in the next couple of years. Go get it, guys. As always, if you want to hear about something specific on this show, let me know. Email me, jason at modernextractor.com. Make sure to follow the show on Instagram at the underscore modern underscore extractor. If you guys are digging what I'm doing here, show me some love. Please leave me a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. The more subscribers and better reviews we get, the better guests I can keep booking for you here in the future. Make sure to give Eco Green Industries a call next time you need some high quality solvents or extraction grade gases for great prices. Use promo code MODEX, M-O-D-E-X, for 10% off your first order. Stay tuned for the next couple of weeks, where I'll be sitting down with Dinkelberg, founder of Backcountry Cultures and expert mycologist, to discuss mushroom cultivation and extraction. It was another interview that went long, so I'm going to break it up into two episodes. I just can't cut an interview short if somebody's coming off of a whole bunch of great information. A big thanks to East Out of Anagus for handling business on the show's social media, and a shout out to the New Fools for bringing the funk to the Mod X theme song. Thanks again to everybody for tuning into the Modern Extractor. New episodes are out every Tuesday. I'm Jason Showered. Let's talk soon.